0: Hello, everyone, and this is a special Speculate bonus episode. I just got back from Big Bad Con after just getting back from the New Jersey Web Fest. So later today, Brandon and I are going to talk about Big Bad Con because we were there together. And right now I'm going to talk about the New Jersey Web Fest a little bit so that you can get a sense of what those events were like and what we were doing at those those things. I already said events, so I'm like repeating myself a little bit. So I'm recording this on October the 4th, but right before I'm going to go travel with Meg on an actual vacation vacation, because this is three weeks in a row of traveling for me, which is a lot. Fortunately, the third week is the thing where I don't have to be like active as a professional. I can just rest and hang out. And that's really good. So the New Jersey Web Fest was at the end of October. The New Jersey Web Fest was having its fifth anniversary, so it's been... I don't know how many, time, how many years they skipped for COVID because I only became aware of the, of the WebFest last year. The, but the, this was the fifth anniversary, and it was the third year that they've had audio fiction and with that actual play. So the, the WebFest has kind of two main tracks. It has a web series, which is short films, web series, music videos, and like really short features. So this is, it's kind of like adjacent to a film festival, right? You know, we have Cannes and a bunch of other film festivals around the world where you might see like art films or even some kind of like Oscar genre films, right? Where the genre is, this is a movie that's going to win, win the Oscars. So you have those kinds of web festival, uh, film festivals. And then the web festivals are for a lot of this kind of new media kinds of stuff. So these web festivals are more new media focused and because of the kind of interest in audio fiction. So that is like um, audio dramas, unscripted audio improv and actual play, right? Because there's unscripted audio improv that's not games. And then there's uh, actual play and within actual play, there is, there are two categories at the New Jersey web festival, there's audio, so like podcast, and then there is video and with each of those, you can have, like, more or less amounts of editing. We submitted ValorWord, our Court of Blade series, for the actual play video category because we were just doing the video side, and we haven't put a lot of ValorWord into podcasts, just, like, little snippets as previews and teasers to get people excited to go over to the video side if they are primary, uh, primarily podcast listeners. So ValorWord was nominated as, in Best actual play video, like outstanding actual play video, because the outstanding categories are a little different. Those, the outstanding categories then have a best of the best, which we'll, I'll get to a little bit later. Outstanding actual play video, best editing in an actual play, best GM in an actual play video, and best ensemble cast of an actual play video. So I was nominated as the GM. The cast was nominated as the ensemble. I was nominated for best editing. And we did not win any awards. And that's fine, because it was our first year uh, attending web festivals. And I'm really proud of ValorWord. And it's been really great to get this positive response that we've gotten in being selected for three web festivals so far. I put the show in for a couple of other web festivals. And we'll see what happens there. Those, are not, those won't be announced for a little while yet. Right now, as I'm recording this, the Minnesota Web Fest is happening up in in that state, but I wasn't able to attend because I wasn't going to go to... I didn't want to do three things in a row anyway, but this is the only week that worked out for travel for this vacation. So in future years, I might go to the Minnesota Web Festival, but if New Jersey and Big Bad Con stay back-to-back, I don't think I'm going to want to add a third thing to that. But who knows? The schedules may adjust. I think it is in... New Jersey Web Fest and Minnesota's interest to to not be all back to back to back with Big Bad Con because Big Bad Con, as we'll talk about later, has a strong like professional development and networking um, aspect, and New Jersey is kind of is currently like the the most well established, most well known web festival for actual play, I think. In no small part due to the involvement of Ned Donovan, who is the director of the audio track. And Ned is also the producer of Encounter Party, which is a, a DD actual play that is like really, really tightly edited. And then there is a a second season that's coming on Dungeons and Dragons fast channel. So it's gonna be on TV, but in this kind of like different type of streaming channel. And so Ned has a lot of connections in the actual play world. He's been able to bring in some sponsorships and kind of made, made a good amount of noise in a positive way to bring people in to come to the festival. I'd heard about New Jersey web fest just by like seeing things on Twitter, but I, I did we didn't see it er, uh, in time to put something in for speculate last year after That deadline last year, but before the award, before the festival and the awards, I met Aaron from Queens Court Games because Aaron is also running a Court of Blades game for Queens Court Games, though it hasn't kind of started broadcasting yet. And Aaron was curious how we were doing Court of Blades. And so he came into the chat and that got us talking. And since you know, since then we'd kind of chatted a a fair bit on like Discord and um, Twitter, and so and so on, and so forth. Queens Court Games is another actual play team. Their main series is a Vampire: The Masquerade Fifth Edition series called The All Night Society, and that's mostly what. But they've been put, or they've been putting that in for awards a lot. They also did some Cult Divinity Lost series that they've been submitting to festivals. So they won a couple of awards last year at the New Jersey Web Festival and had a really good time there. And in chatting with Ned, they kind of took it on themselves to do some outreach to other actual play teams and be like, hey, we had this great experience in New Jersey. We'd love to help you like, get your submissions ready and answer questions you might have about submitting to web festivals. So I was very grateful to have that assistance. I got to chat with Aaron and V. V is one of the kind of other founding members of Queens Court Games and is their like, um, art and graphics director. And Aaron is the kind of forever GM, primary GM, and another co-founder. So at the New Jersey Web Festival, I also got to meet Aaron and V and other people from Queen's Court Games in person, which I'd never done, of course, before, because I'd only met them in the last year and I haven't been traveling as much due to uh, COVID things because it's not totally gone. I'm, in fact, recharging my HIPAA filter right now for today's flight. Getting to see all of the Queen's Court Games folks was really great. It was an extra bonus because it meant that I wasn't going to a new event where I knew zero people, which is what I thought I was doing last year at Big Bad Con. It turned out I did know a couple of people, but not especially well, and not people who I could like posse up with, where I had the benefit of getting to hang out with the Queen's Court Games folks a fair amount. To give you a broader sense of what the web festival is like, It starts on a Thursday morning, and it goes Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and then the awards galas are on Sunday. There is the audio fiction track at noon, that gala, and then the web series gala is in the evening. Now, actual play, again, is in the audio series track, just because of the structure of the web festival, even though ours was video. On Thursday, we had a meet and greet, and then there were a couple of presentations, And then in the afternoon and evening, there are screenings. And that's kind of the format for most of those days. In the morning, we would go to the Montclair Film Building, which is like associated with the Montclair Film Festival. And we'd get some presentations in person or kind of zoomed in from people. And these are things on networking, on writing, on like basically like business development and professionalism as a freelancer and things like that. And those presentations are the goal is for them to be applicable to people across the range of the the web festival, right? People that are doing short film, web series, and audio drama and actual play. Now, that's a pretty a pretty sizable range of disciplines and formats. So not everything was like perfectly designed for all of those formats, but in having the leaders of the different tracks there, We had some opportunities to like tweak and adjust. Where somebody, you know, you give a presentation, then someone would come in and give a little bit of context. We had a presentation on film editing from an editor and a color, a colorist, and then Ned, as the audio person, came in and gave a little bit of like context and adjusting for. Well, here's how we might take that lesson and apply it over in audio and or actual play, and that was really handy. We also had a workshop on pitching, uh, which is really fun because I like pitching. I like hearing about how people talk about pitching and what they do to target or modify their pitch based on the context that they're in or the things that they're trying to do. When it was my turn for a pitching contest, I pitched genre knots because it's a thing I've pitched a whole bunch of times. And I was curious how that pitch would play in a different like ecosystem, right? Because these are actual play folks, audio drama folks and like web series slash film folks. And Genre Knots is a book series, and then I'm adapting it to an RPG. And so I didn't really pitch the RPG side, just the overall premise. And that's fun and its practice. The screenings are interesting because the screenings are not divided by genre or by track. In every screening block, which was over at the Claridge Theater, which is on the same block as the Montclair Film Building, which is really convenient just across the street, the filming, uh, the like the screening blocks were selected from all of the categories. So, in a single block of like 90 minutes or so, you would have an episode of a web series, you'd have a music video, you'd have a screener for an audio drama, and you'd have a screener for actual play, and then you know more of a few of them arranged in a few different ways. The base format is if you are attending you're more likely to get a longer screener. If you're not attending, there's a chance that you're, that instead of your like, longer screener, you might have your trailer aired because the goal is to screen, to screen every single project that is accepted to the, to the festival. As I learned, other web festivals don't do this. this. Some of them will only screen your project if you are attending in person but then they'll put it online or something. So that's what's happening with the Minnesota Web Festival. We have a screener and a trailer, and those are available on the website. But I don't think they're being screened in Minnesota this week. This presents an interesting situation because the goal, as I understand it from the organizers, is to create more cross-pollination between the web web series TV and film folks and the audio drama slash actual play folks so that they can make connections and strengthen the relationships between these different storytelling forms, even though there are some like notable differences in what we're doing, medium, and things like that. It was really fun for me to get to attend all of the screenings, but it is a lot of time, and it's a long time to basically just sit in one place in a dark room. Now, there are breaks between the blocks. I probably could have done with a little bit more frequent breaks, but that's just me. And I think by the end of a couple of the days of the screenings, my eyes were in fact just tired from sitting and watching like a big screen thing all the time, but that's just kind of a little bit of a, a hazard of the situation. The The highlight of the screenings for me, or there's there were a few highlights, but one highlight for sure was getting to see the word screener up, you know, full movie theater size projection, and even more so, getting to hear and see people's reactions in person live. Because when we stream Valward there's you know folk, y'all are in chat and you're responding close to live, but there is still that delay, right? There's a little bit of chat delay. And so if we do something really funny, we do not immediately hear people laughing. We do not immediately get the chat of people, you know, typing lol or using laughing emoji. In that theater, when we had the screening, I got to see the funny lines get laughter in the moment. And that was really something special to me, you know, as the GM of that series and like the kind of producer showrunner because of, you know, doing like scheduling and other things behind behind the scenes in the way that, you know, we kind of share things and depending on the project one person is kind of taking more more or less the lead getting to see the actual play work that i do and really gets that gets shared on twitch and then goes to youtube and has a very particular set of contexts and ways and forms that people react to the things that we're doing and then getting to see a live reaction in person including from people that i had already known or people that i was getting to meet at the festival was really cool and Definitely something I could get used to seeing, uh, you know, a couple few times a year if we get to the point where we're going to, you know, two or three web festivals in a year. There are a ton of web festivals, and within that, there are, I'd say, nine or ten, I think at this point, that have a track for actual play. More of them are focusing on actual play podcasts, and fewer of them on video. And of course we have podcast stuff. We submitted Fractal Spire to a couple of these web festivals in the audio track and we'll see if we get selected for the one that remains. But, you know, for Valour it was we were kind of going on the video track because it's not been distributed fully into podcast and so it wouldn't really make sense to put into that form. Something I did notice in thinking about how Valour compares to some of these other projects just in the video side is that Word is basically not edited, except in a few rare cases, right? We have the editing that I did for the submission video. We have the editing that I did in collaboration with someone who's been helping out, but has not kind of said that they want to be named directly. Working with them and getting the video that we did for the screener, the screener was very well received. So I am very grateful to this to our mysterious benefactor who may be named at a future date who has been working with us on a couple of things there and may be able to work with us on some stuff in the future. TBD, can't say anything about that right now. Other shows were like really tightly edited. Gudia, which is a, a one-shot of Bluebeard's Bride done by Nameless Domain and sponsored by Roll, the VTT. They won, I think, four different awards, and Gudia was very tightly edited. A couple of the other APs were somewhat edited and then on the audio side most of them are fairly tightly edited where the editing that we do for speculate that rudy does for us is it's important it's very valuable and we're grateful for it but he's not doing a lot of like editorial choices in in editing in terms of like oh i'm gonna i'm gonna cut this two minute digression out He doesn't really do that because we haven't asked him to do it. And it's a lot more work to go to that level, as well as doing the editing of like adding an audio track or a soundscape or sound effects or things like that. And we just don't do that. That's not the the form of editing that we do. So between that and kind of putting forward a video series, a thing that came to mind for me and kind of in reflection, but also from people talking about their experience, thinking about or watching Valor is that Speculate, for the most part, attends really closely to and puts a spotlight on mechanics and how the mechanics of the TTRPG interact with, flow into, and out of, and inform the storytelling that is happening. In the screener that we showed, there's about a minute to two minutes that is me talking with Marie Billado how to put together a role. Here's what happens on these results of the dice. Here's how to build your dice pool. Here's how you might get bonus dice and things like that. And then getting the, re- the result of that roll, describing it, and showing the consequences from a failure. A lot of actual play will downplay or outright hide the dice rolls, right? There, in, in actual play, there is kind of a phrase of like hiding the sound of the dice rolling, whether that, that is literally editing out the sound of the dice rolling or it is removing all of the like table business of calculating your dice pools and like tabulating damage and something like Dungeons and Dragons or things like that. In Speculate we mostly play more story forward rules light or lighter games and as a result or partially because of that we don't edit out a lot of the stage business you know we're streaming live on Twitch and so there's basically no editing there there's very little editing when we get over to the YouTube the editing that tends to tends to be that tends to happen is me pulling out the basically the curtain call right if we if this were theater you would you know doors open at 7:30 curtain at 8 when we stream on Greg's channel the stream will go live and then we'll you know the players will go live at about 10 to 15 sometimes 20 minutes later I just cut that out and then sometimes I trim the break down to like 30 seconds instead of 10 minutes or so. But that's really the only editing I do. And then some of these other shows are much more tightly edited or there's much more active editing or they are live produced with a higher degree of production, right? Live sound mixing with soundscapes or adding music or doing other stuff with lighting. And I just don't do that. We don't really do that for Speculate at all. We have, right, there's like a couple of times we've had themes for an individual show. We have the title um, credits for ValorWord that were prepared by Sean and Navi Drake, where Sean Drake does the introduction and there's a video and that's really cool. But that's like the most edited part of ValorWord. I think it would be really fun to get to try making something that is a bit more edited or a bit more produced to be able to add those other elements to enhance the audience's experience for something like Word. But in a world where either the GM or one of the players is live producing when we're on stream, our ability to do that is limited because that's taking attention away from the play to attend to the production. If we get to the point where we maybe have a live producer who's not a player, that becomes a bit more of an option. So that's kind of... um, One of the biggest takeaways from New Jersey for me was that Speculate kind of stands apart from a number of, not all, but a number of other actual play shows by focusing on the mechanics and system and how system and story interact, where some other shows use the rules of the RPG as like a framework or as a safety net and then will downplay or remove some of the me- that mechanical element just to or in order to more to thoroughly focus on the storytelling, the narrative that is the result of the play rather than focusing on the play itself. This is all still actual play and the borders and the boundaries of what counts as actual play are still being negotiated, right? The form is very young. Even if we look back to Acquisitions incorporated, and any actual play that was like recorded in audio or video before them—that's all still basically post the year two thousand. And if we look at twenty fourteen as like the breakout year for actual play in the premiere of the Adventure Zone and Friends at the Table, and I believe Critical Role starts in twenty fourteen or twenty fifteen. I don't remember 100%, so I'm not going to say it definitively. So we're coming up on the 10-year anniversary of, of actual play having breakout moments. But those boundaries are still being really defined. There's some kind of argument. There's some discussion, let's say, about the boundaries of actual play, and some people trying to coin or shift attention or shift terminology to other terms. Taylor Moore of Fortunate Horse Productions has introduced the term of narrative play, which is kind of very narrative-focused actual play, where there's a lot of production, a lot of editing out of some of that mechanical stage business. I agree with other folks who would say, that's still actual play. Let's talk about it as narrative actual play or highly produced actual play, because it still has a strong relationship to everything else that Taylor Moore would still call actual play. And I get wanting to like have your own specific thing that's good for your own branding. And I believe Taylor, when he talks about here are all these differences in the way that I approach this as the editor and producer, but I think the form is still a bit young to have something like be fully taken out of the umbrella term of actual play. And this is me just getting more like into the ph- philosophy of that in terms of like a creator and a producer, which is a little bit less audience facing, but because that kind of what does it mean to do this? What are the forms? Where are we going? All of those discussions were really present and prominent in discussions that I had at New Jersey Web Festival. I wanted to preview a bit of that for you and recap it, as well as tying it into some other conversations that I've had. We're back, and I have the the wonderful fortune of being with a Brandon today. Brandon was also at Big Bad Con, or was at Big Bad Con and did more things and was there longer than I than I was, if we're being truly honest. And so I'm really excited to to hear from Brandon about some stuff from their experience, some of the stuff we've already talked about, but then I'll share some of my time with Big Bad Con as well. A thing that I definitely want to get to, but it doesn't have to be first, is your thoughts about this year's Big Bad Con versus when you came previously.
1: Well, yeah, of course. Um, I had the good fortune of being at Big Bad in 2019. That was my first Big Bad Con. And a lot has changed, but obviously for the better in a lot of ways. I'd love to talk about that as well.
0: So 2019, like last Big Bad Mm pre-pandemic, what was the... um, like, what was the overall size of the event and, like, what for you was, like, the vibe?
1: So the, so a lot of things about the size of the event is particularly noteworthy because in 2019 we were not at this hotel. Okay, We are, Big Bad is presently in, what is the name of the hotel it's again? Like the, it's the Hyatt Regency the San, Francisco San Francisco International Airport, which is a huge hotel for the obvious reasons. It's an airport hotel. But in 2019, it was in Walnut Creek. Uh, it was in a Marriott in Walnut Creek, which, uh, while still obviously being a hotel, is very much, very much smaller than this. This location was. Okay. So the vibe was a great deal more intimate. Mm-hmm. There was like, while both cons have the same overall vibe in that a lot of the con is happening in the lobby. Mm -hmm. for which in the Regency SFO, is the atrium. What that means is different, because a lot of the vibe at uh, the Marriott Walnut Creek was the lobby was where we were playtesting new stuff or working on a game that just popped into our brain with a kind of, like, not overwhelming sense that you were surrounded by people, that there were people around, but it wasn't, like dozens of people all settling and doing the exact same thing but the atrium is designed in the hydrogen csfo to be a kind of mingling space and that makes it much more intense in comparison because that's where everybody's eating that's where they set up tables for i guess for people to run a thing if they wanted to or most of those tables are just kind of For group eating stuff. So the atrium was full of people. Which is a good thing, obviously. A big bad con, being an industry-facing convention, is where people go to network. But it feels less intimate and more like, this is a place where everybody needs to mingle right now. right? Um, And it can be very overstimulating at some points, in fact.
0: So for folks that haven't been, the atrium is... There's like a, a quick deli cafe section where you can buy, take away, carry out food. There is a bar. There is a restaurant. That restaurant has a buffet area. There is like a sets of booths for dining. And then there's a whole large section beyond that for all the tables. So that gives you a little bit of like the relative position of this. Also, it's in the middle of a, a hotel that has four like you know the four sides around it and those go up and up and up and the atrium is just this big open air center.
1: Yeah.
0: Um which is also Also
1: like, it's like twenty something tables. So like you're you're sitting at a table with six people, there are six people sitting behind you to your left and to your right. It's a lot.
0: Yeah, because the the POC mixer last year was in the atrium and this year it was moved to the pavilion, which I think is a larger space, but was enclosed and was probably, therefore, a lot louder. Um, would Oh, yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. The pavilions actually strikes me as a good... Because I was actually wondering... I forgot to ask, so now I'm glad that you told me, whether the mixer uh, took place in the atrium, because the atrium seems like the place where you would do that. Right. But for obvious COVID reasons, that's actually... Not perhaps a, a productive idea, so the Pavilion was a good idea in that regard, first and foremost. But also because I feel like having done it in the Pavilion was a good decision because it means that the those two events, the uh, POC Mate and Greet and the POC Dinner, are happening more or less on their own. Yeah, They're not opportunities where somebody could go, Hey, all of my friends are gathering here, I might as well crash only to learn that you have just interrupted a thing because you literally have to go down two hallways all the way to the left of the hotel just to find the pavilion in the first place so i was actually curious what it looked like when it was happening at the atrium because the atrium feels like the, the vibe before events like that but especially because i feel like the convention had like a great deal of events dedicated to the POC, like in terms of not the fact that it was just two events, but that the Big Bad always feels like it is deliberately catering to uh, POC attendees in a way that is that is very much appreciative, and as a result, maybe this is me overestimating, but it does feel like the POC presence at the convention is quite a bit large, and it feels like if All of that was happening at the atrium, it would feel very crowded in that sense, in the way that the Pavilion did not. Sure.
0: So I think comparing this year to last year, I think Big Bad was substantially bigger than it was in 2022. I would have to go back and look at the numbers in terms of how much of that growth is the POC program being able to bring in more people in terms of like a greater number of POC scholars versus a larger attendance overall. Because I think something that something that I noticed in both years was, you know, the POC programming as a focus, as something that the con is putting a lot of effort into supporting and enabling, you know, we're creating this, this pipeline and support system. People who attend the con are paying money into a system that is partially paying into the POC scholar program, though those are there are other like sponsors and things is my understanding, but that... There is a broader con that is like come to this convention and play TTRPGs. And in at least the recent years, as as I understand it from people who've attended more frequently, like the professional development center of gravity of the con seems to have increased. And some people over this the last weekend who are like longtime big, bad attendees indicated to me in conversation that they felt like this year was like a notable extension or magnification of that which is not necessarily good or bad, but it it's a different thing because mm-hmm. we have people who are at Big Bad Con who, for whom it's like a regional games convention, right? They live in the Bay Area or, or in Northern California and they come. There are people who are attending as POC scholars and in support of that program. And then there are like other industry professionals. Mm-hmm. And any two of those groups can combine I think in under in understandable ways but a convention trying to serve all three of them I think has to figure out how to combine or subdivide their efforts in some ways that I think will continue to be they'll need close attention because the the impulses and the needs are not all pointing in the same direction
1: mm-hmm. there was a tweet that was made by or around dr. Emily Friedman who was also at Uh, this year's big bad about the question of the difference between a convention and a conference i feel like big bad is like a very unique kind of beast for that reason because compared to other conventions where participating in the media that the convention is about is part of the project of that con there is no distinction between the people who are coming because they made a cool thing and would like to play test it, and the people who made a made a game because it's their job. And both of those people are booking the same, uh, making the same opportunities to book a game to run that game, uh, to get feedback about that game. Both of those people are playing other things that they saw during the day, or buying games that will continue to inspire them, not only in their play, but in their... Uh, otherwise creation. And both of those people are networking with other creators, but they're not there for the same reasons. And I think that, like, one of the unique things, especially when you're in the industry, because most of the people that we spoke to or had engagements with are people who are working for whom being freelance writers or designers in the TTRPG industry is part of or their entire job. It can feel... Very interesting, right? Because you you know that you're here for work, but it's fun work. It's like knitting if selling the stuff that you knit is the only thing that you do for money.
0: Worldcon definitely came up as a comparison at some point. I think talking with other people who are kind of in both spaces. For me, in some ways, it feels like a very small Worldcon or yeah. a nebula conference with fan attendees. Mm-hmm. Because I think by numbers, people who are at Big Bad Con primarily to play games and were not interested in the industry side, I think is still the majority of attendees. And that that's definitely different from like the recent Nebula conference, where it's very professionally development-oriented, and there really are not many fan attendees.
1: Yeah. And I think a lot of that is also the way that we talk about games, right? people go to SFF conventions. And while we acknowledge that we do read, one of the very few things that we talk about when it comes to the work that we do is how we read as an act of creative nourishment Hmm. or what other media we're consuming as an act of creative nourishment. But in Big Bad, play is an act of creative nourishment because you can't make a game without having played a game. And that, like having conversations about that and how that feeds back into the process. Having conversations just generally about what feeds back into the process is a thing that happens no matter where you are in TTRPGs at Big Bad in ways that it doesn't happen in other places, and I feel like that's how that distinction is created, that everyone is ultimately talking about the work at Big Bad in ways where some other kinds of work at other conventions, typically don't come up because we're doing all of the other things that are necessary to make the money.
0: Right. Like, playing games is a major part of the activity of Big Bad Con. Writing mm-hmm. fiction is not a major part of the things happening literally at World Con and, like, the Nebulas in terms of, like, ah, at, you know, 2 p.m. to 6 p.m., tour authors writing mm-hmm. short fiction. Like, yeah, As the thing that's happening that is the event that people go to. Like That's just not how that works. And part of that mm-hmm. is because of the form and the nature of games versus like prose and poetry in speculative uh, media.
1: Yeah. And it means that a lot of what people are coming for is to witness the thing. Like, for instance, a handful of the content at this year's Big Bad was um, live actual play. Right. Transplaner had an event. There were lots of LARPs. I think there was another big AP thing that is totally slipping my mind, actually. But oh. like a lot of people, I'm sure, came to see their favorite thing happen live because it was happening in their area or because they always come to Big Bad. And that's kind of the vibe as well, in a way that is totally dissimilar from, I am coming to this this event because my favorite writer is doing a reading.
0: Yeah, and I would say a decent percentage of the attending professionals – are folks that were involved in or participate in actual play. Whether that is like, I'm a designer who goes on actual play shows to run my game, or whether it is folks whose like primary activity within the industry is actual play. Because there are tons of overlaps.
1: Another thing like in that overlap as well is there are lots of people who, because AP is the thing that they're prim- primarily available for, even though they do a lot of design work or a lot of writing work this was not only an opportunity for them to talk about the majority of their work but to create relationships with folks who can bridge a lot of that space for them so they can talk about some of the things that they're not better known for and make those things available for other uh communities as well so like like a lot of big bad is just about all of these things are part of the work And you get to witness all of it and have conversations about all of it and seek opportunities through all of it because everybody's getting to witness what those things are, have deep conversations about what those things are, as opposed to what feels in a lot of SFF conventions. Again, just because of the form, like we are here to just sell the stuff that we've made or talk about the stuff that we've made.
0: Yeah, and I feel like Big Bad Con some of the programming, but not all of the programming in terms of like panels and workshops does a similar job to what a lot of panels do at science fiction fantasy cons, which is survey discussions of major subsections of the field, right? How to get into doing an actual play podcast. Here's a thing about acting. And then there's some that are a little bit, you know, that are more focused, or we might think of as like, Non-introductory level, but I, as I see it, part of what Big Bad Con is doing is creating access to a lot of information and like institutional knowledge across TTRPGs. Whether that is like direct transmission from individuals, or it is in conversations at panels, so that somebody coming into the into the field. Attending Big BadCon has access to a bunch of different conversations that will orient them to and provide connection to sources of information so that they don't have to start from zero. Mm-hmm.
1: This was actually a thing that I was thinking about when I saw some of the panels that were available for this year's Big Bad. We don't like codify or taxonomize what panels do what conventions very often. Mm-hmm. But like, it dawned on me that panels have like two kind of major modes, which is skills building, and consciousness raising. The panel that teaches you how to do a thing that is fundamental if you want to expand a part of your trade, if you want to do podcasts, if you want uh, if you want to do AP, if you want to do voice work. And panels that are designed to give you understanding about cultural or social aspects that will come up in a part of play that will be vital to making sure that you don't make like, fundamentally tragic errors in certain elements of production. And that you understand the ways in which your work is touching and being touched by certain kinds of people or communities. And the thing that I discovered is those are the same in ways that, uh, like, part of the reason why I didn't actually sign up for a lot of panels for Big Bad is because I didn't have a lot of time because of game stuff, but also because I was like, this feels, am I, uh, is it wrong for me to say that this feels kind of weird? I thought I was like, nothing has changed. And a part of me was kind of, a part of my brain was breaking in that, as, from that revelation. But like, one of the things that I do definitely want to do as a result is actually come to a big band in the future and just do panel stuff right. as a result, because I feel like those things are not different. Yeah, And because... Rather, I think that the difference that it comes from is again as uh, as a matter of format, that it's not uniquely just about writing, even though a lot of people are writers, but also because the medium of play asks you to perform a great deal of the time, and therefore, like, what is the distinction between making those decisions in the mind, from the mind to the page as a writer, um, versus in your entire body? in AP or in your own private table? What do those differences mean? Like I was actually thinking that would be an interesting panel to have a group of writers who also do AP have right. a discussion of and a few to But
0: Brandon, that sounds like a, uh, a panel we should pitch for next year. Hmm, Perhaps. I'm pretty sure we could put together uh, a group of people for whom uh, th- that would fit that bill that you're suggesting. I wanted yeah. to go back real quick because last year more than this year, but last year... I definitely was more panel focused than game focused. I ran a genre game and I played in two other games and went to a ton of panels. I think to your point about the the them being the the types being the same, I wonder to what degree that is achieved through good programming choices, like setting the program such that you don't have basically mostly unmarginalized people doing skills panels and marginalized people doing identity and community panels. If everybody is involved in everything and inclusion is a baseline, then that differentiation is less, maybe less important because being able to write a community outside of your own experience empathetically is a skill you develop and a practice that you put into play in uh, collaboration with people who can give you informa- the information you need to be able to succeed, like how do you feel about that idea?
1: Oh no, yeah. So, like coming back to the fact that one of the things that are, that is very good and inspiring about Big Man is that it goes out of its way to to make room for marginalized um, creators and players as its its base. Is that it inevitably? Kind of crosses off one of the problem points in most programming without having to think about it, which is you just get to ask people to pitch panels or you pitch panels to them, knowing that there there are going to be marginalized people on that panel who get to talk about skills because they're there because they're doing the work because they already have experience and you're just trusting them on their experience and making sure that enough of them are present that they get to say, yes, this is the thing that I want to talk about, means that it's not. it doesn't feel like you're scrambling to make sure a person of color or a disabled person or a queer person is present on this thing that is just about AP because they're already present. You already asked them if they wanted to do the thing, and I feel like Big Bad is better than that in a lot of ways. I have no idea what their program process is because a lot of panel stuff is already set in stone before game stuff even happens at Big Bad. So I highly suspect that there is a program track that asks people if they're available to do a thing months in advance. My only experience being on a panel at Big Bad was Big Bad Online. I think it was the first Big Bad Online during the pandemic. Uh, That would have been 2020. Um, I may be mistaken. But my experience is they reach out to people well beforehand and go, do you want to talk about X, Y, or Z? And then it just kind of slot people in very immediately, making sure that folks are not being underrepresented in certain spaces. And I feel like that's a lesson a lot of cons can and should learn. I feel like Big Bad is in a unique position to kind of illustrate to a lot of other conventions. This is what it looks like when programming is thoughtful and deliberate on a, frankly, much leaner committee setup than a lot of other conventions, because everybody here is also marginalized and wants to make sure that someone is representing them to, the, to their fullest ability.
0: Yeah, and I think part of why, if we view Big Bad's programming as a success, which I, I broadly do, taking that model, bringing it to other conventions, I think is very tricky unless those other conventions have also already done a very good job of having a leadership team that is diverse and is following what's happening in the in the industry because a thing that i've noticed in some other cons where the if the con runners are not working very hard to stay current they just don't include people who are the currently active and up and comers right it's like mm. here are five panels about writers that were popular in the 80s. And we're not going to talk anything, we're not going to talk at all about like a a contemporary trend. Because I think the big bad organizers are very well connected and are committed to inclusion and decolonization, uh, anti-oppressive work, the people they would reach out to already comprise a diverse set of creators with a variety of backgrounds. Because when you have a basically a no-volunteering. When you have a a programming system that isn't, I want to be on programming, here's my background, when it's all committee-originated, which maybe it is, maybe it isn't, I'm not totally sure, that committee has to already be on that higher level of knowing what's going on and doing a good job of inclusion. But if you've got it, then you can really curate, which it seems like they do.
1: Yeah, and this is the part where I don't want to give a lot of stock to... The medium itself, but obviously a lot of this comes out from the medium as well. if you're doing a p you kind of need to know who else is performing or else you'll only get to play with the same six people if you're designing a certain kind of game, you kind of need to read and play other games of its type where you 're not going to where there's going to be a mechanical mismatch that you 're not going to have thought of because you had to actually engaged with the thing so a lot of people just kind of naturally discover themselves just kind of leaning into being aware of everybody who is present and being very thoughtful about not only are these people here because they have a great deal of experience doing X, but here are these other people who are now starting to do X, who have been experimenting with X, who did a cool version of X in this AP or in this game that's available on their itch that you can own, that you can get right now for like $2. So it's not really an excuse for you not to know. Whereas, while this is not an excuse, I feel like the solitary nature of writing is such that a lot of people have no idea what's happening in SFF until they've arrived at the convention, right. which is bad for programming because it means that you kind of need to know who those people are in order to put them in programming.
0: Yeah, and I think part of that is magnified by the fact that the TTRPG industry is just I think a smaller number of people than the the like traditional book industry right cuz if we yeah. if we look at games writ large if we include video games then games is is way bigger by money and probably by people if we're just looking at physical games I don't know the comparison but if we're just looking at TTRPGs I'm fairly certain that that industry is much smaller than what we talk about with the big five.
1: Yeah, definitely. And
0: so there's just fewer um, people to have to know.
1: Yeah, which is strange considering because it means that it like it makes it sound like it is remarkably easier, and a lot, but a lot of the problems that limit like the visibility of POC who don't live in the United States or Anglophone Europe, for in, for instance, those issues still persist regardless of that size. Yeah. So it's not like it doesn't require the same amount of work. It's just that that work is done easier in part because the medium being a social one means that we get to interact with more of those individuals face to face and get to ask them, well, who are you thinking about? What's, what's on your radar? And then just kind of widening that net from person to person.
0: Yeah, the basic activity unit of that industry is a thing that happens generally with three to eight people as opposed to, I guess in books, we could say that the basic activity unit is like an author and an editor or an author, an editor, and an agent maybe. And so I think that that's basic unit structure is a, com- uh, a component, like, as you say.
1: Yeah, it's like the Venn diagram has the publishing industry has one very large circle and ttrpgs is a very small circle that is very heavily overlapped there but that very small circle is constantly pulsing as if it is attempting to grow and then just regulating its own size
0: yeah because i you know there there's definitely been growth in ttrpgs in the past 10 years since the release of D and fifth edition, since the popularization of itch.io, since the propagation and growth of things like drive through RPG, and then like third party creator stores, think like Dungeon Masters Guild and Storytellers, whatever for World of Darkness and all those kinds of things. So there's a bunch of factors um, to to make it. I think so that so you know we get pulse and then contraction, but some of those contractions still end up bigger than the circle was before the pulse for, or are there other things that you want to talk about in terms of like the POC programming or maybe things that somebody who is considering coming to Big Pad should think about?
1: Uh, So one of the things I definitely want to add is, especially if you are starting actual play or starting design or you have a couple of things on your itch or you've been writing some content for one thing or another and have them publicly available and you are a person of color, definitely it is in your best interest to apply for the POC scholarship. It is the one of the defining things about Big Bad for me. Um, again, the fact that it is so obviously and outwardly concerned with the presence of marginalized people and people of color in particular is important to me. It cares about making sure that it's making room for creators who are not just POC but POC who don't live in the US uh, POC who for whom English is a second language trying to make sure that as many people as possible don't feel like they are still yet othered in that conversation and is designed specifically to increase your opportunity to find opportunities in the industry, as opposed to just be present, shake some hands, play some games, and feel like you've gotten the most out of the convention. There are opportunities for you to gain skills to allow you to level up in the career, and I think that that's a very big deal. Once the window opens for the scholarship, always take advantage of it, I think. A lot of people are doing some very cool things that, regardless of the industry, like, this is a thing that comes up in SFF all the time. I feel like I'm when I say it, I'm ragging on SFF conventions, but I'm not. There are people who are telling interesting stories, who are making interesting things, who, in a lot of other conventions, feel like the thing that they get to do is raise some money to be present, shake some hands, and then feel like That's where that goes. And then it becomes work just like everybody else. You still have to finish the book, you still have to submit to an agent, you still have to hope for the best. But at Big Bad, when you attend the meet and greet, there are people who are eager to see where they can make room for you to be a part of the industry. Not just because you are one of many tokens in the room, but because the industry doesn't actually get better and become more deliberate about its messaging if it doesn't think more deeply about who it can invite. There are only so many stories that white men can tell. I'm sorry. And people will, like, go out of their way to ask what they can can make room for for you, what they can do in order to make your ability to enter this space easier. One of the things that I got to do uh, this year was there was literally a panel on how to a workshop on how to pitch during the meet and greet. Right. That if I hadn't had it, I'd be like floundering to find ways to describe myself. And I've been describing myself for years as a writer. That's how difficult that can be. And the fact that they're going out of their way to provide skills for folks to be able to gain more soft skills practice so they can become better at selling themselves and better at being... Available in this space is that like actually a very big deal for me, but I want people to be able to take advantage advantage of that as much as possible because this is the only convention of its kind, the only convention where industry work and industry networking is taking place where part of the convention's deliberate design is ensuring that communities that are otherwise underrepresented. Can gain the skills necessary to network more effectively. Because if you go to another convention and you don't know, you are SOL and no one will even know that they can save you.
0: Right. And so, like, the comparison in SFF would be like if you fundraised to go to PAX Unplugged. At PAX Unplugged, there are lots of, you know, lots of companies, lots of designers, lots of people that are playing, but then you're just kind of on your own if you're if you're looking for work. Whereas that uh, pitching workshop was at the beginning of the con, is my understanding. Before you would have needed to use it throughout the weekend. So it is getting people into the room, providing input and instruction on skills that are going to be applicable throughout that weekend. Letting people connect one uh, with one another who are coming from many different backgrounds, but are here in some overlapping ways because it's, you know, all these POC scholars and then having made connections, having gotten kind of a leg up and practice, then get into this position of being able to try to, or or, of being pitched and getting to pitch a variety of great opportunities. And so to me, as somebody who is outside of this process, except in some, you know, marginal ways, uh, like last year, I participated in the mixer as I am an actual play producer and I'm getting into game design and I'm meeting people who I hope to be able to give work in the future. Mm -hmm. That idea that this, this, um, this program is so structured for success and to set people up for success is very heartening to me. And it, it sounds like it has been productive for you.
1: Oh yeah, definitely. Like the only way that I know how to put it is when you go to other conventions, People are obviously happy to see you, but they're happy to see you because you've been seen. Being at Big Bad Con, people are happy to see you because they want to know what they can do next to make being here more important than just being seen. If that makes sense. It's about paying that energy forward and seeing where things go in the future, rather than just going, I'm glad you're here. Like, we'll personally hilarious things about uh, after that workshop is that the workshop hosts would literally like come up to us randomly every once in in a while during the convention and go, have you practiced yet? Have you done any more practice? You should practice with this person. It's like, you really want me to make sure that I know this thing? Thank you very much. This is not like a joke. You are helping me get more accustomed to a part of getting more opportunities that A lot of people, if you've never had the experience to do it, you don't have that skill rehearsed, and you're making sure they have it rehearsed, and you're checking in on my progress in this space. Like, another thing is, a lot of marginalized people in general, like, we are obviously very invested in everybody's work. Like, this is a con where everybody is invested in discovering more about the work of their peers and the people that they look up to, but they're also invested in making sure that they're all doing okay as well. I feel like that is... Secondarily, like one of the cool things that the convention does is at the registration desk, you can pick up a playbook that has like moves that you can make in real life in at the con, like making sure that somebody has had a, a had some water or correcting yourself if you have made an error, and you get buttons back from the registration desk when you fill out a playbook, but it's also the nature of encouraging people to interact freely as opposed to feeling like you are separate from each other that you're here for quote-unquote work and nothing else is important that you're not supposed to be actually deliberately engaging with each other as a community like that community aspect is really important in big bad and i want to know how to make that rub off in other spaces because it's actually a very big deal
0: yeah because it's like pro-social gamification in probably about the best possible way that I could imagine thinking back on the last decade and like this idea of gamification because the XP prompts in something like the indie games that I think are informing Big Bad World, this game are like, Oh, here are the behaviors we want to reward. And so at a convention, here are the behaviors we want to reward. We're specifically telling you what they are and everybody involved is invested in having that system of incentivization just be a part of a broader effort, which is great.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I say that in part because, and apologies, because You're, going, it's, you're finding your buttons? Sorry, but yeah, I, I got five buttons. Oh, wow. I was doing the thing. I was very thoroughly engaged, because it obviously also gave me an opportunity to meet new people and like have conversations of, about... More of the space, and especially when you're playing games, it's also very useful because it means that you're constantly relearning some of the skills that make you a good GM. But like, yeah, it's like it's designed to make people social in an already social space, and I want to find like knowing that that is possible makes going to conventions where people just wave at you feel much less cool in comparison. <laughs>
0: Yeah, at the Nebulas this year, there were—it's not quite the same, but you could uh, you could take one of three pins that were um, like that had different colors. So there was uh, a green pin that was like handshakes and hugs are okay. There was yellow that was like fist bumps and elbows, like ask before touching, and red was like just like don't touch me. And being able to communicate some things without having to ask and constantly reminding people that those, those types of interactions are things that require consent and communication. It's not quite the same direction, but it's some of that same work in terms of like, how do we, how do we make easier the process of rising to a, a, a higher floor in this set of behaviors? Cause you know, they also were handing out like pronoun ribbons and, and badges and things. But Big Bad Con with Big Bad World goes, like, way above and beyond that.
1: Yeah. And another thing that's particularly important about Big Bad World is that some of those moves are about yourself as well. They want to make sure that you're taking care of yourself. They want to make sure that you're not overextending because there is this urge, especially when you're new to a space or you have been invited to the space specifically because you are otherwise underrepresented There can be this desire to do as much as possible, to be as deliberately engaged as possible, and that can wreck you very easily. And the fact that sometimes a move is just drink some water. Not not even drink some water, drink a glass of water, or uh, visit the quiet room, is like actually very... Like I'm glad that they think about that as well. Everything about this is like designed in such a way that I really want to like go to them and go is there, do you have a playbook? Because some cons can read these things. Please, pass on your wisdom.
0: Right, because as great as Big Bad Con is, the hopes and dreams of the industry should not rest on one event.
1: Mm-hmm. Like, I what? should not rest on a handful of people who are responsible for it.
0: Right. There should be Something There should be events that are as uplifting and thoughtful on every continent, ideally in every country, every place where people gather to play games or do these types of events. The world would be better if there were a bunch of different groups and events doing things on this level, if not necessarily in the same way.
1: Yeah. We have the potential to do better. Another world is possible.
0: You know, and that's not. But just, it's just
1: a matter of leaning into the thing,
0: right? And that's not just like big, big bad con Paris and big bad con Tokyo, big bad con insert whatever city around the world, right? It's because it sh- it probably shouldn't be just one model copy pasted to other places. It should be. Mm-hmm. Here is, here is a group that is doing amazing work that is going to be inspirational to and provide support and resources to other people who coalesce into groups that are trying to do their own version of their best efforts to make a better industry and to support their communities.
1: Yeah.
0: Okay. Well, that feels like a, a pretty good place to end on. Did you have anything else you wanted to, to talk about?
1: No, I mean, I could keep talking about the, the PSC events forever, but I probably should not. But definitely, again, if you are a person of color who are who is now starting in the, in the industry, if you've done a couple of actual plays and you really like them, if you've made a thing on itch and you think uh, it has the potential to be something greater, definitely come to Big Bad in the future.
0: So that is, just to be clear for folks who who didn't already know, that is a... You know, it's a th- three or four night event in San Francisco at the San-, at San Francisco Airport Hotel. It takes place usually at the end of September. The weather in San Francisco is usually like 50s to 70s Fahrenheit, which is I don't know in centigrade.
1: I, it was like I think it was somewhere in the 20s,
0: like teens to like high teens to 20s.
1: Yeah. Okay.
0: Um, just to like, Which keep... I only
1: know because at night it would be like somewhere between 9 to 11 and I was like, oh yeah, I should have brought a jacket. Yeah. I was so excited to no longer be in the heat. It fo- I forgot to prepare for. Kind of chilly. Yeah, kind of cold.
0: So that is that. Thank you to everyone who has been watching or is listening later on. We have more exciting stuff to bring to you and we are actively working on our plans for our November fundraiser. But until then, Mm -hmm. we will see you next time. I've been Mike.
1: I've been Brandon. Take care. Bye. The theme music for Speculate is Yellow Wood by Greg's band The Road. Find out more at www.thebandtheroad.com. Hi, everyone. If you've enjoyed what we've been doing here on Speculate and you've been thinking to yourself, where can I get more role-playing in my life, can I recommend Arvaneleron.com, A-R-V-A-N-E-L-E-R-O-N.com, where you can check out the Curse of Strahd podcast. This, set in the world of Ravenloft, is a Dungeons & Dragons 5th edition campaign which has been running for a long time with a similar group of players and which has been both a lot of fun and I think you will find enjoyable. If you like it, please let us know both there